Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Eurowatch. Money FM 89.3. It's Elliot Dank and Timothy Go now for Eurowatch. Uh, we're taking a look at quite a number of headlines out of Europe, including Russia's election commission, formerly registered President Vladimir Putin as a candidate for the presidential election in March. Six years, mm-hmm. the term of office. And, well, he is most likely to win another term in office. He is, by the way, 71 years old. He doesn't look old, <laughs> Not I have to at say. All. Yeah, I mean, just say. Not at all. We've got an anti-war candidate also vying for the Russian presidency, and he is former MP Boris Nadezhdin, submitting signatures required to be listed on that uh, election ballot. So, does he stand a chance, though? Well, we'll find out. Let's get an expert to help us out. Dr. Samir Puri, Associate Fellow, UK in the World Program for Chatham House. Dr. Samir, good afternoon. How are you? It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Nice to speak to you. I'm well. All right, uh, Doctor, let's get right to it. So Vladimir Putin officially a candidate once again for uh, the president in Russia. He's been the president of Russia for as long as I can remember. His odds of winning? I'd I'd say his odds of winning are pretty high. (laughs) I I heard you mention his age, which is probably the most important thing to keep in mind, Mm -hmm. more so than the number of elections. He did step aside, you remember, for Dmitry Medvedev. For a short period of time, they swapped roles, basically, Mm -hmm. presidency and prime minister. But I don't think there's any chance he's going to lose. I mean, uh, especially with the war ongoing and his prestige and his place in Russian history, really still uh, actually a question mark over it. He's not like he's leaving power after achieving the things he wants. He's He's still trying to achieve the things he wants to achieve. Mm. Dr. Samuel, what do we know about his challenger, uh, the former MP Boris Nadezhdin? Uh, Boris Nadezhdin, I mean, you know, people are not going to have heard of him unless they're, they're following Russian politics. Mm. Uh, I think the first thing to say is, unlike someone like Boris Nemtsov and other uh, you know, really vocal opposition candidates, this Boris probably isn't a, a overly charismatic uh, but there has to be some sort of presentation of an opposition in the Russian system for, for there to be an election. So I think it's fair to say he's unlikely to threaten Putin, hmm. either his popularity or I think if he loses the election, one would assume he would just very quietly fade back into the shadows again. Doctor, what, what makes uh, President Putin so popular? Though? Is he loved? Is he feared? Is he Well, actually, you know what, when you think about it, he, his goal is to make Russia great again. And he's on his way there. Yeah. Well, that, that, of course, is a matter of perspective, isn't it? Because I think it, Putin doesn't care at all what people outside of Russia think of him. They can mm-hmm. love him or hate him or fear him. I think inside of Russia, his style of rule, albeit as a, as a president, it really follows centuries of imperial rule. So the, the historical memory is that of having an em- emperor. Uh, that's really the position he occupies in the minds of Russians. So it's not about his accountability to the, the electorate or his accountability to the populace. I think it's this sort of patriarchal, quite terrifying figure that sits across this vast territory that has obviously spans everywhere from north of Japan all the way to, you know, the Barents Sea uh, and to Ukraine. It's such a huge territory, it's hard to get our minds, I think, over what uh, the rulership of that territory actually relates in terms of local political traditions, which we summarise as being dictatorship. But I think there's a bit more to it than just one word, I think, to summarise what's going on with Russia's politics. 
I feel these days you can't mention Russia without mentioning Ukraine. The latest being uh, short of cash, uh, the Ukraine that is, as well as personnel and equipment for its war effort against Russia. Ukraine says it has cobbled together financing to last several months without long-stalled aid from Europe and the United States. Analysts are saying that further delays could trigger... Wow, an all but certain economic crisis. Uh, Dr. Samuel, are you on the same page with these analysts? I mean, certainly the basic prognosis, which is unless foreign money and foreign military assistance flowed into Ukraine, Ukraine is, is stuck, mm. is in trouble. And its military effort could collapse because it doesn't have the ammunition. And its finances, which are already perilous, uh, would you know, completely come to pieces. But uh, NATO, did it, NATO, the alliance, approved effectively an emergency contract over a billion uh, US dollars and that really is to replenish those those artillery shell stocks and ammunition stocks that uh, Ukraine badly needs. The big one is, is still stuck in Washington. So this is an ongoing issue is when and how Ukraine receives the money that uh, European and American policymakers who want to support Ukraine have said Ukraine should be getting and, and that it is otherwise blocked. To some analysts, uh, doctor, are saying that uh, further delays would trigger an economic crisis in that part of the world. Do you agree? Well, I mean, one would have to qualify what they mean by an economic crisis. I mean, a country fighting a war against its gigantic neighbor, which in pre-war times was its, was its major trading partner, which you can understand why. Language links, the fact they have a huge common border, the fact they were united in the USSR until 31 years ago. So they've already lost their major local trading partner because they're at war with them. On top of that, they are having their civilians killed and maimed. They are having their territory 20% taken. They've lost a significant chunk of their coastline. So, you know, what does an economic crisis actually mean in a country that's already experiencing all these things? As I mentioned, it really does come down to that foreign financing because even before Russia's 2022 invasion, IMF bailouts were part of Ukraine's uh, treasury and its reality of how it functions. So that really is the reality that Ukraine is facing is without friends uh, and without that economic assistance uh, and that sort of you know, the handouts as well, its economy will completely come to pieces. Mm. Doctor, early on talking about aid, you mentioned the big one from the United States. So you've got the U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen telling the EU that uh, President Biden and his administration committing to approving $11.8 billion in aid. Doctor, what will the EU have to do if, let's say, the United States cuts its aid? Yes, well, this is a real test, isn't it, as to whether... The EU plus the UK, we shall add them in there as well. The Europe, basically, the European friends of Ukraine, can they actually, they can't fill the gap if there's a big shortfall in US funding, but they will have to obviously step up the amounts of funding that they give to Ukraine. Uh, it's war effort. And it just, uh, it's always worth remembering that some of this aid, it's not handouts, some of this is actually defense and military support, which basically means these European or uh, countries or America are spending domestically inside their own countries to build the equipment and build the ammunition that they're then shipping over and gifting to the Ukrainians. So there's also a, a case to be made within these countries that this is money that is actually stimulating their own defence industries. But as we know, both in the EU and in the USA, that it's now wrapped up in a lot of discontent as to whether Ukraine is actually now a blank check hmm. challenge uh, for these countries, as in this war is not going to end anytime soon. And it's very, very costly. And at some point, I guess, people uh, from these countries uh, helping Ukraine would also finally get tired and say, why are you helping another country when you're not helping your own citizens with those uh, money? Yes, um, clearly 
someone like Viktor Orban in Hungary who would, who would hold up this funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the yeah. Republican politicians in the U.S. Who, who say that with regards to U.S. border issues with Mexico, these are, these are the arguments that they mount. And I think just to, to sum it all up with Ukraine, unless it can demonstrate progress on the battlefield, it becomes harder for Ukraine supporters to say this is a worthwhile financial investment. Right. if you're sitting outside, right. unless the rhetoric changes that we are helping Ukraine to just hold the line where the Russians are at. But the line that's argued is still we're helping Ukraine retake all of its territory. Right. So, I mean, for perspective and, and to your, your comment about the Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, it's not like to say they've got something against Ukraine, but it's more of a case of managing the issue of burden sharing. Has it become burden sharing yeah, although I would have to say that and this is beyond my specific expertise. <laughs> fair enough, when fair enough. To, well, no, but, but Hungary in particular, yeah. they probably do have some historical issues with Ukraine right. because the territory of that part of the world yeah. is, is extremely complex in terms of yeah. ethnic groups and borders. So there's probably some, and they have a small border, yeah. by the way, mm-hmm. uh, near the Carpathian Mountains, if I recall. So just next to Romania, obviously. So there are there are some really curious Hungarian Ukrainian dynamics, just like there are some curious Polish Ukrainian mm, dynamics. Mm, mm, yeah, I was yeah. just very quickly once I was in the Ukrainian city of Lviv with some Polish colleagues years ago when I was working in the country, and they kept calling it Lvov and talking about how it used to be Polish. And that's, mm. of course, a Ukrainian city now on the border. So there's, there's a series, I think, of, of dynamics within yeah. the Eastern European countries that complicate some of their view around Ukraine and helping Ukraine, which I think is not so visible if you're sitting in the UK or the USA. Fair point. Doctor, let's talk about this big gathering, a big party of 70 foreign ministers happening on Friday in Brussels, hosted by the European Union, the third Indo-Pacific Forum. However, China and the US have not been invited. Yes. So the point of a forum like this is to state that the EU is an Indo-Pacific player. Now, if you invite the USA or China, or both, then all of a sudden the utopia overshadowed as the EU, and then it becomes about US-China dialogue. If they both show up, will they speak to each other? What will they talk about? If it's US only coming, then it's about European-American partnership. No, this is about the European Union mm-hmm. making a claim to being a major Indo-Pacific trading partner, potentially even uh, a partner in terms of security as well, although I think it's probably more going to be on trade that, that the EU will want to state its relevance for the region. Because, of course, don't forget, the EU has obviously no border with the Indo-Pacific. It's nowhere near geographically. But some individual EU countries have those old colonial connections to parts of this region. Um, and that, I think, is also... No one will mention that, but that is one of the undercurrents behind where those connections and that claim to having a link, I think, historically resides as well. Doctor, let's uh, talk about France and China celebrating the 60th anniversary of diplomatic relations this week. 27th of January was the date. 60 years on, your thoughts on whether that has, you know, come up with real results, your thoughts on the future for Sino-French ties? Well, one of the criticisms from those countries that have been more hawkish towards China, countries in the West, is that France has, has actually been quite happy to, you know, to continue to trade with China. And I think that is actually quite interesting, which is the extent to which the French take a different line to the USA and to maybe some of their other NATO partners uh, looking for a, you know, a much more pragmatic and trade-based relationship, which actually thrives quite well. It's one of the things in the medium term, which will probably distance the French further from the Americans, Mm. 
Uh, they're different relations and different perceptions of China and different economic needs. So I think, you know, the Chinese will look at the relationship with France and think there's actually quite a lot of potential for it to, to maybe not grow you know, dramatically, but certainly compared to some of the difficult relations it's had with, with the USA to actually do quite well. So how would, how would France balance its uh, relations with all these big economies? Well, the French have always had a, a quite a independently minded uh, membership of NATO. They've never been unhappy or afraid to tell the Americans when they disagree with America. That has manifested in all sorts of ways over the Cold War. You remember the French opposed the American invasion of Iraq. So I think here there would be a strong sense of not being caught into America's narrative over China and wanting, uh, from the French perspective, to make its own decision, its own you know, for its own relations. And I suppose the final thing that the Chinese will be very keen to do is to see whether the French have uh, have the ability to exert that influence in the EU, the French, of course, being one of the major EU powers, but so that the EU also pursues, you know, its trade relationships with China in a way independent of how America perceives China, which is competition and only competition. All right, then. We've been speaking with Dr. Samia Puri, Associate Fellow, UK in the World Programme for Chatham House. Dr. Samia, appreciate your time as always. Thanks very much. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.